If for some reason you didn't get a uh, just our reading list for each week, I'll have them up here and you can pick up one after the class is over. Uh, I try to send out an email to you each week to remind you what the reading is because I don't like just speaking to myself. I want you to uh, uh, challenge what I'm talking about. But anyway, we're happy that you're here. A little bit of review. We're in uh, uh, First and Second Samuel uh, this quarter. And um, so first week we talked about the shallow narratives, uh, the birth of Samuel, the situation is as we reach the, uh, toward the end of the Judges, uh, the first seven chapters are kind of a prologue or an introduction to the next phase of uh, Israel's history. As Judges come to an end, <clears throat> we saw Hannah, uh, faithfulness in the midst of apostasy, as she prays for a son, gets Samuel and dedicates him to the Lord, and then also the corruption in Eli's house so, as well as that, that uh, uh, family comes to a tragic conclusion. Uh, then chapter <coughs> 4 through 7, Terry <coughs> talked about uh, <coughs> two weeks ago, shows Israel uh, relying on themselves. Uh, <coughs> they call the ark out to help them without consulting God. The ark gets con uh, uh, captured by the Philistines, and so it just shows that they're becoming very, very proud. Eli dies. Samuel becomes the key judge, and Samuel calls them to repentance. They do confess, but they don't, they don't uh, as uh, we talked about in the first service, uh, confession without repentance and really turning away from it doesn't really help a whole lot. And then uh, last week, uh, Terry did 8 through 11, the section where Israel asked for a king. And... Uh, uh, well, they had a king, didn't they? They had a king, and that was God. But uh, even as uh, before, there had been some projections about a kingdom. God disclosed to uh, Jacob in Genesis 35:11 that some kings would come from his loins. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 17, Deuteronomy is kind of a, a re-giving of the law. It's a summary. Moses gave, re recapitulating, if you will, all of the law of Moses into one book. And one of his uh, dialogues in De uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses tells him how a king should be selected and behave. He talks about a king should not be a foreigner. You shouldn't elect a foreigner to be your king or appoint a foreigner to be the king of Israel. The king should not accumulate wealth. The king should not have many wives. They will lead him away from the Lord, Moses says. The king must keep a copy of the law. It says, write it on a scroll and keep the copy close to you and read it daily so that the king will learn to fear the Lord. Regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. This king would be completely subject to the Lord. You know, one of the challenges of any leader is to try to remain with the people he's leading. You know, there's always that subtle difference, isn't there? You know somebody's endowed with power, but to try to still be one of the people. Um, that's, that's a real challenge in any, in any walk. 
Uh, God tells Samuel, listen, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. And Samuel warns them. But the Lord says, go ahead, do what they ask, give them a king. And so chapter 9 of Samuel that Terry covered, that's where Samuel meets Saul. And what is his first, what does he see when he comes and meets Saul? What kind of person does he see? Physically. Physically impressive. How so? Head taller. taller. Uh, He's handsome, it says. Appearance can be overwhelming at times. Physically imposing. Somebody's physically imposing. It's been, uh, you know, uh, I used to have a client in Montgomery, Alabama, and uh, he was CEO of the company, and he was a very short person. And you go into his office, he had his desk on a raised platform. So he would be more at your eye, a little bit at your eye level or above your eye level. Uh, because he was so conscious about his height. Um, uh, when I was uh, in our, I, I went to our national office for three year, two, and a half, two and a half years. Uh, and I, one of the programs I was responsible for was our recruiters workshop. As we talk to people when they go out to college campuses, not to just be affected by a person's appearance. You know, you want somebody who knows how to dress. Dress for success. We used to be a book we'd give all our people. But you can't just be impressed with looks. And to show them and help them see that, we had a case study. And we had a written transcript of an actual interview that had taken place. And we had the people read that interview and say, we'd have half the class do the the transcript. The other half of the class we'd have in another room, they would look at a video of the interview. Almost without failure, the people who read the transcript said they would not hire the person. The people who looked at the video of the interview said they would because the person's appearance was so overwhelming. But when you saw it just in the cold reading of the words, it wasn't that impressive. Um, so Saul uh, was, people said, make, make us a king like every, all the nations around us. Well, that's what they got, wasn't it? All right. Okay, then... Uh, Last, uh, uh, chapter 12, uh, Samuel, there's a whole chapter on kind of Samuel's uh, last, uh, not his last, uh, totally last words, but one of his um, uh, kind of a farewell address, wasn't it? When, uh, let me go back. I'm, I am just a little bit out of order here. When Samuel becomes king, there's a, there's a passage in chapter 10 or a verse in chapter 10 verse 8 that says go down to Gilgal and wait seven days and yet if you keep reading it's not until chapter 12 or 13 that that he's waiting seven days reappears and a lot of stuff has happened and all the commentaries you read says remember this stuff was assembled and compiled this may be out of sequence it's not exactly chronological as you're reading it. Uh, because later we find out Saul was 30 years old. 
when he began to reign as king, he reigns for 42 years, it says in one verse. Yet in Acts, it says he reigned 40 years. So there's some reconciliation that has to take place. So chapter 10, that's where that occurs. Uh, Saul goes home to Gibeah. And it talks about a group of men who, who God had touched became his close companions. But the verse says also, some despised him. You've got to remember, when you're appointed to a place of leadership, not everybody's your friend. Because somebody, they, they just, they may think, well, now he's in charge, or she's in charge, uh, he's uppity. Uh, they say, well, I wish I had that job. Uh, but some people, no, nobody's ever going to like you. Uh, chapter 11 uh, talks about the defeat of the Ammonites. Uh, it says that the, uh, uh, the people of Ammon come, they, start, they came to the Jabesh Gilead, which is a city up in Samaria. They say, we're going to capture you. And the people of the city say, wait a second, let's make a treaty. And the, the, the king says, or the leader, whoever it is that comes over there to capture them, says, okay, if you want a treaty, we'll gouge out the right eye of everybody to show that we're in charge. And the people of Jabesh Gilead says, well, that's a pretty drastic action. Uh, give us seven days and let's see if there's anybody in Israel that will, will uh, rescue us. And so they send word out to get uh, somebody to help them. And a very interesting uh, verse is that word comes and the people are very upset about what's happening to Jabesh Gilead. Saul gets the word. What is Saul doing when he gets the word? He's in the field, but what's he doing in the field? Plowing. Plowing. <laughs> Does that sound like a king? He's out in the field with some oxen plowing. So the days of living in, living in luxury in a palace have not yet happened. He's out in the field. So this you just don't know all the, the days that... He, well, what is he thinking about? I remember uh, that uh, there was an old preacher in Alabama called Gus Nichols who established churches all over Walker County in northwest Alabama who preached uh, at least an hour and a half. He never, uh, when he came to do our, you know, and you were a teenager and that, that came to town. That was a hard, hard week. But you didn't even get restless till 9 o'clock. In, that's right. But, but he, he knew the Bible. He knew, could recite long passages. And he talked about when he was a young plowing, he would learn verses. And as the mules would turn around at the end of a row, he'd open the Bible, get another verse, and he'd recite it. But, so what was Saul thinking about as he was plowing? But it says Saul was outraged. When he heard about Jabesh Gilead being threatened, the spirit comes on mightily. And so he leads soldiers over, launches a surprise attack, and wins, defeats the Ammonites. And then an interesting thing happens. The people say, now, where are all those people who said that Saul shouldn't be king? He's led us to victory. He's obviously a good king. Good selection. Let's kill everybody who said that Saul shouldn't be king. 
And what did Saul say? Don't. What did he? But what was, he said? Don't do it. But why? But, but rescued by whom though? Not by Saul. The Lord rescued. He said, no, we're not going to kill anybody because today the Lord has rescued Israel. And so, again, I, I think as you see the subtleties that happened during Saul's life, at least at this initial victory, he still recognized that the Lord was in charge. So... Then Samuel finds, he says, let's go to Gilgal, reaffirm or renew uh, Saul's kingship. So uh, this, this, this process of him becoming king takes a few years to work itself out. Okay. So now we get to today's lesson. We're going to talk about Samuel's final exhortations in chapter 12. And then the... Uh, the, uh, the uh, <coughs> Failures in chapter 13, 14, 15. So we'll get, we'll get through here hopefully in the right time. So 20 after, uh, time box myself a little bit. So, Samuel's final expertise. You know, when you're an old person, no offense, Bob, but you and I are getting older, right? You've got a little more gray hair than I do. I'm not quite as, as white. But one of the things you like to do is pontificate and make people recognize, you know, I've been around a long time and I led you through any, any CEO when they retire. Right, Doug? You were a CEO. You like to make people say and say to you, I did a good job. Here's all that we, we accomplished. And so he, he kind of uh, makes them sit and listen. He says, I've done as you've asked. I've given you a king instead of one of my own sons who's now serving. Uh, uh, he, re he retells the history of, of, again, every time the Israelites stray, a prophet or somebody has to remind them of what God's done for them. So he retells the story of them coming out of Egypt about the victory at Ammon. He charges them, verse 14, says, Now if you and your king, he doesn't say if, if we and my king or our king, he says if you and your king. If you'll fear and worship the Lord, don't rebel against His commands. But if you do rebel, verse 15, His hand will be heavy. You know, oftentimes the power of God is, is pictured as a strong hand coming upon you. Uh, as my father's strong hand would come upon me occasionally uh, in discipline. That was not a good thing because it was so, so hard and tough. Uh, and he says, you know, if you, need, uh, if you still need convincing about this fact that you've got a king, but who's still in charge here? God's still in charge. I'm going to give you a little demonstration to prove to you that God's still in charge. And what, what demonstration was that? Yeah, it's harvest time. He says, you know, this time of the year, it doesn't rain around here. So just to show you. He calls upon God and it thunders and lightens, uh, lightning uh, during harvest time. And then he tries, he, he does throughout all of his uh, teaching in chapter 12, verse 19, the people are convicted. And it says, you know, we really have sinned uh, for asking for the king. And they uh, ask him to to pray for them. And then he says in verse 23, 
I will not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. I will continue to teach you. I want you to fear the Lord. But then uh, one of those little, just those little verses, think of all the wonderful things He has done. And uh, I think that's, uh, you know, like the song, Count Your Many Blessings. Uh, all of us, uh, no matter how much trouble we have in our life, uh, it's, you, you do need to ponder the, the wonderful things that we have as families, that we have uh, in the midst of uncertainty. You know, this week with the uh, vote uh, in, in Great Britain, to exit the Euro, uh, European Union. There's a lot of uncertainty in our world. Uh, you know, one of the things that people attribute to uh, President Putin in Russia is he's been trying to destabilize Europe because he saw a united Europe as a, more of a threat to, to Russia uh, than what it was when they're not united. Um, will the United Kingdom, that is Great Britain, uh, England, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, will they survive as an entity? Or will uh, Northern Ireland say, we've had enough of this, we now have open borders with Southern uh, Ireland, and now we're going to go back to having passports to go down to Dublin? Or Scotland voted overwhelmingly. Uh, so it's, it's in all of the, up, the uprising around the immigration, where the nationalism of the individual countries is threatened with the influx of immigrants. We've got a lot of uncertainty. But as we look around, we have to realize God's still in charge of our lives. And no matter what happens, we can think about the good things and continue in faith that He's going to take care of us. Uh, chapter 13, uh, the War of uh, the Philistines, again, Apparently this has been going on for a good while, but it now comes to the forefront in Saul's life. Um, may not be in chronological order. It talks about Saul selecting 3,000 soldiers, sending the rest home from Gilgal. 2,000 go with Saul to Michmash. 1,000 go with Jonathan to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Uh, Jonathan attacks and defeats the garrison of Philistines at Geba. And then in 13.3, after Jonathan does defeat that one garrison, apparently there were garrisons of Philistines all around through, through Israel. Uh, news spreads. The Philistines realize they've got a revolt on their hands. They start gathering their entire army, 3,000 chariots, and all that kind of thing. And Saul sounds the alarm. And it says to Israel, he sends the message throughout Israel, rise up and revolt. So again, as the uh, Israelites have asked for this king, they, they want somebody to help lead them through uh, fighting the Philistines. And so the whole army now mobilizes at Gilgal. Flash back to chapter 10, verse 8. Go to Gilgal and wait seven days. This is the seven-day wait here because it talks about that uh, as they're waiting there, that the Israelite people who've assembled, the army that's assembled, begin to hear about all the, the mobilization of the Philistines. They get scared, begin to desert, 
And so after seven days, Samuel hasn't come, and Saul does what? He does the burnt offering. Instead of waiting for Samuel, the priest, to come and do that for him, as Samuel has instructed him, he offers the sacrifice. He offers the burnt offering. And so Samuel arrives, and his response is, what is it that what is this you have done? And what does Saul say? What would any good CEO do in this situation? I made a decision. Exactly right. What was, one of my favorite expressions is that sometimes it's easier to ask for, for forgiveness than permission. Everybody's leaving. The whole army's deserting. I, I took action to try and salvage the situation. And yet, in the victory, so many of the victories, the victories were won with very little in the way of army, wasn't it? In fact, what, what's going to happen next is that what? Notice how often the pronoun I is Yeah, that's one of my, that's exactly right. It's I, uh, I did this, I did that. I did not consult. Uh, Samuel tells him, how foolish. You have disobeyed the command of the Lord. You have, had you obeyed, your, uh, your kingdom would be established forever. But now your dynasty must end. Before, uh, verse 14. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already chosen him to be king over his people. For you have not obeyed the Lord's command now. This introduces the whole thought that's going to dominate the rest of 1 Samuel. It takes a lot of chapters to get there. It's pointing towards for David, right? Let's talk a little bit about that after his own heart business. As a, uh, you know, growing up in our tradition as a young, young person and trying to study all this stuff over the years, it was hard to reconcile what you were preached about, about obeying in our legalistic tradition, and yet you look at David, and he didn't seem to obey very perfectly either. Uh, reflect on this after his own heart, and what it mean, means to you about what God's doing here. Looking for somebody after his own heart. other thoughts after your own after God's own heart well, well Saul always justifies what he does when when David sins he could you know when when he's confronted with his sin he doesn't start trying to blame someone else he gets his knees yeah, it's pretty pretty he's pretty quickly convinced he's when he's done wrong right Saul uh, some, he gets convinced at times but it takes a lot of effort to convince him doesn't he? Um, speaking as a very judgmental person it's hard to know someone's heart. And I love that verse that we look at the outward appearance 
It's sometimes all that we have, mm -hmm. but God looks at the heart. And I'm quick to judge people a lot of times. And bottom line, I don't know their heart. If I had been looking at David and his outward appearance, it would have been hard for me to see his heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? In reading a bunch of different commentaries and uh, dic Bible dictionaries this past couple of weeks as I looked at this, one phrase jumped out at me in the uh, an alternate translation of, the, of this, this word or words that's translated after his own heart. That it might be uh, another, another way to read that would be, uh, has sought out someone of his own choosing. God is seeking out someone of his choosing not someone of their choosing. Think about what they asked for. They asked for a king like the nations around them. And perhaps God is looking for somebody a little bit different than like the kings around them. Now, certainly, I think all the things we've said are applicable, and we've heard numbers of sermons about that. But think about God chose people that he wanted to choose because he's God. And for his purpose. And for, and for his purpose. That's right. Uh, was Abraham perfect? No. He chose Abraham uh, through whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because he wanted to choose Abraham for his purpose. So anyway, so anyway, uh, they face the Philistines. We're introduced to Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan wins at uh, Geba or Geba. Uh, the whole army uh, mobilizes and meets Saul Gilgal. He doesn't wait. I've already talked about that. He goes ahead with the sacrifice. And in the victory at Gibeah, uh, they, they march up there to meet the Philistines. And so the whole, how many people are left to go with Saul now after the defections? Uh, it says 600 people are the only ones left. Interesting, interesting uh, uh, comments too. How many of them had weapons? It said the Philistines had not allowed any blacksmiths in Israel because they didn't want them making weapons. So only Saul and Jonathan had either a spear or a sword. Now you're going to war. What are you going to fight with? You're going to pick up a piece of, of uh, tree limb? You're going to have a rock? Uh, what are you going to fight with? So the whole idea of them going up against well-armed Philistines with the idea that they're going to defeat them on their own Without God's help, it's kind of ludicrous, isn't it? But as they get here to fight, uh, Jonathan hatches a daring scheme. What does he do? He takes his armor bearer and he says, let's go over here. You know, he says one, one, uh, one real key phrase. He says, uh, perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. And so he and the armor bearer, uh, bearer not barrier, but bearer, go over. They uh, come up and come up out of the ditch. And he tells his servant, he says, you know, if they respond this way, we'll, we'll uh, fall back. But if they say come up and fight, we'll go up and fight them. And they, they wind up, kill a bunch of them. God causes an earthquake. The Philistines start scattering in fear. And then Saul and the 600 men attack. And they fight all day. 
And during the day, during the fighting, Saul makes a very foolish vow. He says, let a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening. And again, Fred, with this pronoun business. Let a curse fall on anyone who eats before evening before I have full revenge on my enemies. And so the men fight all day long. They get very uh, faint from uh, all the exertion and the energy they are expending. Uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer hadn't heard about this oath that uh, their, his father made. And so they partake of some honey they found, uh, which gave them a quick shot of sugar energy. And so that evening, it says, as the men uh, descended upon the plunder that, that the Philistines had left behind, they slaughtered animals and ate meat without draining the blood in violation of the old law. And so that night, they, uh, as, as, uh, as Saul begins to ask the Lord, should I pursue the Philistines tomorrow? He doesn't get an answer. He perceives that something's wrong. That, uh, and then so they come to the conclusion somebody violated the covenant of, not, of, not, of eating during the day and it comes down to the fact that it's Jonathan and Jonathan said look I didn't know about the, uh, uh, the, 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 the vow that you made so we partake of some honey and Saul says yeah but you deserve to die because I made the vow but what happened the people say, Saul, you're wrong. It's because of Jonathan that, uh, who fought the real great battle that uh, Jonathan should not be killed and should be saved. I think it's interesting that they jumped to the decision that it was because Saul's vow had been broken versus the people have eaten yeah. This meat that was still had the blood and that was totally against the covenant. The, uh, yeah. I mean, the, that goes back to Noah that mm -hmm. don't eat the meat with the blood. Yeah. That's exactly right. They jumped, they jumped to that conclusion and would have killed Jonathan, who becomes so integral into David's life also, uh, had not the people intervened. After this. Uh, Saul pleads for forgiveness, uh, Samuel uh, relents, etc. Okay. Today, also, set, uh, the final thing we'll look at this morning, the settling accounts with Amalek. Uh, you know, how many times have we heard sermons on that in our, in our faith, faith tradition? Of it's better to obey than sacrifice, uh, hearken than the fat of lambs. Uh, but... Uh, God tells Samuel, tell Saul, go fight the Amalek. I'm going to settle the score. Remember, the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They, uh, the, the people of Amalek would not uh, let them come through. And so they're settling up accounts. Uh, so he brings the message, utterly destroy the nation. And again, lots of opinion about what utter, the phrase or the word that's translated in our English, utterly destroy, whether that means literally to kill everybody or whether that's some hyperbole again. But uh, Saul undertakes the mission as they assemble the army to go destroy the Amalekites. They come upon the, the Kenites, 
who are some people that live there with the, uh, the people of Amalek. And the Kenites are given the opportunity to escape because on the way out of Egypt, again, the Kenites were nice to the Israelites. And Saul repays that kindness by giving them the opportunity to flee. And to the Kenites' credit, they did. They left the scene. And so they do. They destroy uh, everything, but they, they don't quite do it exactly like Samuel had told them. They save the, really the best of the plunder. They bring back the animals. They bring back uh, the king as well. And so uh, God appears to Saul, uh, Samuel and says, you know, Saul hasn't obeyed. I'm sorry I ever made him king and go have a confrontation with him. And so Saul does. And uh, as Saul talks to him, uh, what is, first, first of all, Saul's view, when Samuel confronts him, what is Saul's view? I've done, I, he says, I have carried out the Lord's command. But the army, <laughs> the army kept. Uh, but the verses ahead of that. So, Maybe he didn't know how to translate that. Exactly, he didn't. He, hadn't, he didn't have his lexicon with him, did he? <laughs> but I have carried it out. But Samuel says, stop. You know, we had this... He says, stop. Listen to me. Uh, when Catherine was a small girl, uh, the, way you, the way you had to get Catherine, you had to say, look at me in the eye. If, if you told Catherine to do something and she didn't look you in the eye and acknowledge that you had said it, all bets were off. And, and, and we have had great joy in watching her grab ben. the chin of her children. <laughs> but but, but I, I visualize Samuel taking salt. Look, I told you. But anyway, stop, listen. So he says, what is more pleasing, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience? Remember, rebellion is as bad as witchcraft. Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Boy, that's a, that one's tough with me, being stubborn. And in uh, Saul's credit, finally he admits to Samuel, Yes, I have sinned. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. It'd be only human nature, wouldn't it? To have, if you saw all these great fat cattle and all wait a minute, wait a minute. Destroy all this because livestock, the, the bountiful crops, that is wealth. That's wealth. There wasn't a lot of, there weren't banks around where you could store your money. The way you stored your money was you had, uh, uh, barns full of uh, wheat right, and you had cattle and sheep and goats walking around that you could trade for whatever you needed and so uh, for them to destroy all of this wealth would have not been uh, uh, human human nature would say that's not something you're going to do and so Saul pleads for forgiveness and he says go worship with me and finally Samuel does relent and by all indications, uh, he goes to worship with Saul, but then Samuel leaves and never sees Saul. There's no record that he visits or sees Saul again. 
and Saul's kingdom, uh, which was again a chapter before, pointed toward David, is now really becoming, uh, it's only a matter of time. But it does take a number of years for Saul to be off the throne. Okay, that's kind of, obviously there's a lot of stuff in that many chapters, but that will take us next week, chapters 16 through 20. And remember, when you read about uh, the description of, of uh, David, compare that to the description of Saul that we read about when he was head and shoulders, handsome. David's not, uh, not much on the handsomest. Ruddy complexion, uh, not, doesn't talk about it being tall, I don't think. Anything else before we go? Let's have a quick prayer. Lord, thank you for all that you do for us. Uh, help us as we see uh, the things that went on in Samuel, Saul, Jonathan, their, their lives. Help us to see things that happen in our lives in light of being a faith people. Help us to trust you. Help us to rely on you even though things seem in turmoil and sometimes seem in, insurmountable. Be with us through the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.